0: Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta.
1: Welcome to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today we have Mark Mawini, ultimate coaching coach who coaches other people to take responsibility. More than happy to have you on the show because I know you're also a critical thinker and you live in Canada. How are you feeling today? And let's just throw something in the middle of the discussion. How have you seen Canada evolving the last five to 10 years?
0: Evolving or devolving? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was telling you before we went on the air, I just read an article from one of our local news sources that are top provincial doctor is recommending isolating or socially distancing our Christmas gifts to put them in another bedroom in the house for two to three days, like the radioactive waste, basically, to keep us all safe, which is crazy. I know you've probably talked on this show. I know your opinions on the subject. But yeah. unfortunately, where I'm at in Atlanta, Canada right now, if the government or bureaucrats said you got to throw your kids off the roof to keep them safe, there's a pretty high percentage of parents that would be up on the roof right now chucking little Johnny or Susie over because um, government told them to. So that part for me is frustrating. Um, The thing that gives me hope is there's people like yourself, lots of people that connect with online that don't feel that way. And they're starting to speak out a lot more about not just this issue, I think lots of different Mm -hmm. issues, and they're not censoring themselves. And I don't know the older I get, um, I don't have a filter, or at least not as much of one that I had before. And I think that's the way to be. I mean, it's not good to be out there and and feeling like you can't talk or share your opinion because somehow it's wrong. You know, that's, uh, I'm really big on free speech and I wish more people were. Yeah, we talked
1: about it a bit before about that narrow bandwidth of what's acceptable. And when the bandwidth of what's acceptable becomes smaller and smaller, more people become an extremist because they fall out of that narrow bandwidth. How, that we came into the situation we are today, like what has caused this cultural shift to happen, you feel?
0: Well, I think there were always crazy people, but unfortunately with social media, then you look at our academic, uh, you know, you look at the at who the colleges are churning out and who are getting into positions of power and media, you know, not just media, Hollywood, everywhere else. The, a lot of the gatekeepers now are those kooky people that didn't have <laughs> power before. Mm-hmm. So, to show you how crazy things are, I got in trouble. This is the weirdest controversy (laughs) to have. A couple of years ago, I posted a motivational quote on Facebook. You know, once in a while, I'll share motivational quotes that resonate with me. And it was from Zig Ziglar, Mm -hmm. who was not a controversial guy, although he was religious. So nowadays, he he would be considered, you know, Hitler. But uh, Zig Ziglar has a quote where he says timid salesmen have skinny kids. So mm-hmm. timid salesmen have skinny kids. I don't think that's really a controversial mm-hmm. quote. Um, I got attacked by a coach because it says "salesmen," and she said that really should be salespeople. I said, well, I'm sorry, Zig Ziglar's been dead for years. I can't go dig up his corpse and reanimate mm-hmm. it, and get him <laughs> to adjust his quote. It's the quote, you know, if you and, and our prime minister here in Canada was there was a big kerfuffle a few years ago because he wanted people to be calling it people hole covers instead of manhole covers, because apparently that was sexist. And here's this is the leader of our um, country probably the the biggest virtue signaling fool that's out there. If you could you know compare any of the biggest virtue signals, he's at the top. So yeah, people hold covers. That's us in Canada.
1: <laughs> Maybe I should change my podcast into rants about you womanity or you people peopleity.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because the people came to my defense about that quote from Zig Ziglar. A lot of them were female coaches. And it's funny because my um, clientele is actually shaded a little more uh, female. It's roughly 60-40 mm-hmm. for females. And when I've asked them, hey, why did you hire me? You know, I always kind of like to know. And they said, they're basically sick of uh, a lot of the language in the coaching space, which is, you know, the very feminine, like, Hey, girly, Hey, lovely, Hey, beautiful. Would you mm-hmm. like to, you know, it's all like manifest your dreams, they're airy fairy and all this stuff or it's like kind of boss bitch, babe, this stuff. And mine's different. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a more meat and potatoes. It is not a woo woo fluffy type thing. And those uh, females who've hired me, the women coaches have said they appreciate that they want just the facts, ma'am. Um, as opposed to the, you know, hey, girly, uh, you know, all this stuff. So not trying to uh, say that people can't build their business. They want to talk like they, they talk. But I always say that uh, don't try to be someone that you aren't. If, if you don't talk like that, don't, you know, put that in your messaging.
1: Yeah, I always felt that one of the essential things, and it's also changed my life, one of the most enlightening moments in my life, but also frustrating, was that I realized that a lot of my suffering was self-inflicted. It didn't mean that I wasn't a victim, but I realized that my way of treating other people, the world, my perception, was influenced the circumstances that were happening in my life. So I think mm-hmm. one of the key tenants in life to get what you want or be a good coach is to take responsibility, stimulate others to take responsibility and empower them doesn't mean you can't be a victim, doesn't mean that certain minorities or certain stances can be advocated for. But I think it's essential if you want to be a responsible human being that makes an impact that you focus on responsibility. And it seems a lot of the culture narrative has been focused on entitlement and victimhood.
0: Yeah. Well, um, and that's it. Whenever I hear words like uh, privilege and You know, anything social justice related, I right away, you know, I'm not on board with that. I don't get along with social justice warriors. Like you said, I'm all for if someone wants to advocate for some sort of cause that they believe in, that's fine. But um, I have conservative views and I don't hide them. Anyone who follows my post can tell that. And I had a coach once say to me, oh, my God, you're conservative. How can you be a coach and a conservative? I said, well, if you look at what coaching is supposed to be about is empowering people to take personal responsibility, not to rely on government from cradle to grave and have everything handed to you. My question would be, why aren't more coaches conservative? <laughs> you know, if I look at that, I think there's a pretty good fit there. So that being said, some of my best clients have been far left tree huggers from California, one in mm-hmm. particular that we get along great. We rib each other and joke around. It's just I everything in my messaging is designed to drive away Social justice warrior, far left, uh, you know, socialist types like that have T-shirts of AOC, you know, or stuff like that. We're probably not going to get along well if you're constantly whining about rich people and it's always somebody else's fault. That's we're not going to be a good fit. And I try to repel them as much as I can.
1: Yeah, and sometimes we can fall into the trap of then trying to be anti the anti people or anti social justice warriors. So sometimes we feel we're a victim to them. So one of the battles that I'm fighting is just freedom of expression, taking responsibility, freedom of speech, not only just being busy blaming those other people all the time while they are also blaming other people, then you're kind of playing, playing their game, right? The risk sometimes yeah. is if all you see is the enemy, you become the enemy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I just had a discussion with a uh, coach last night by Facebook Messenger. She's in Australia. We're looking at doing something in the new year, uh, JV. She's in uh, Dictator dance zone so, you know that <laughs> dictator Dan so I, I made the I said in something in Australian to, yeah so when <laughs> I said I hope that you're not um being you know governed by that that uh kook and she actually likes him she goes she's like no I'm a really big fan of him and we actually had a discussion back and forth but she did it the right way she's like no she said I respect your opinion mark when I explained mm. here I said I'm the exact opposite of you I said I'm actually very concerned with the actions of politicians bureaucrats and stuff throughout 2020 and going into 2021. Uh, but she wasn't like you're evil and you want to kill, mm-hmm. every, all the senior citizens in the world and stuff. It's she's like I respect your opinion, but actually, like she didn't call him Dictator Dan. She used his real name. <laughs> 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 I used Dictator Dan, but that that's probably how it should be. You know, um, my issue with social media is I don't want to have a a Facebook or a Twitter that is weighted all conservative opinions because it, then it's, it's becoming
1: socialist it, media almost like only certain kind of views are tolerated and what i see yeah uh, conservatives is trying to conserve right trying to uphold certain values that's what conservatives are conservatives is almost like oh conservatives means being a bigot or being a racist no it's just upholding certain values and when i see certain opinions being removed just because they're outside of the allowed politically correct spectrum I think that's just very dangerous. I would in no way try to censor AOC or yeah. other people. They have the right to say what they want. I might disagree, but I want to solve it to not sexual, but a uh, conversational yeah. intercourse. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, um, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, I just finished reading a book about called "The Radio Right," and it's about the um, efforts of JFK back in the '60s and his administration to clamp down on conservative radio shows because they were getting millions and millions of eardrums. And it was becoming a real problem for JFK when he was trying to plan his re-election in 1964. If he'd gotten there, he was worried about this. Uh, So the problem that a lot of bureaucrats had at that time is they were having second thoughts because they considered themselves liberal. But the things that they did were definitely not liberal, free-thinking type stuff. They were doing a lot of dirty tricks and they were conflicted because like, oh, this doesn't seem right. This isn't right. Nowadays, the fine thing is JFK would probably be placed on the far right in the political spectrum if people were looking in there because he was for corporate tax cuts, strong military. Uh, you know, he had some positions now that today's Democratic Party would consider. There's no way he would win the nomination with the way that the Democrats have swung so far left. So it's interesting to see how things have changed over the last you know 60 years or so.
1: Yeah, I was anti the war against Iraq with these weapons of mass destruction that were not there. You, were, you had Bush who was a president who was yeah. conservative, so it doesn't mean that I stick to a party line. I like to advocate for minority views, and that kind of shifts. The left used to be more pro-free speech. Now it's more the right and conservative that stands for yeah. free speech. So I'm just looking at what's the dominant narrative here. So if I would see all leftist people being censored right now, and you would have it in the reverse way, I would probably be advocating for those views here like, hey, hey, let's value free speech. I'm not someone who says like, yes, free speech, Mm. but only for that kind of end of the political spectrum.
0: Yeah, no, it'd be pretty boring, you know, if everyone agreed with everyone. So I like seeing different opinions. And, you know, I do change my mind from time to time. But it's if someone comes at me with the reasons Argument and they're not screaming and just using the buzzwords of the day. Like if they shot me down because I'm a middle aged white male just because of that, I think that's wrong. You know, I think that you need to look at the actual ideas, not just judge based on skin color, gender. You know, and and unfortunately, that's how it's become nowadays. Uh, with it, is you're being disqualified, or your opinions being uplifted, depending on where you fall with that. And um, doesn't feel right. And and for the coaching world, sometimes I feel like I'm a conservative actor in Hollywood, where there's what John Voigt and maybe Scott Baio <laughs> and a few that that admit that they're conservative. Now, th- there's a perfect example. If you looked at it, if people speaking publicly, what, 99.99% of Hollywood actors and people in studios would say that they're left-wing, you know, mm-hmm. and they're certainly not conservative. There's no way that that is possible. So obviously, these people are hiding. They're afraid to speak out with it. And that's pretty scary, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's scary sometimes to speak out because you risk on being removed or not having the impact that you want because it also becomes like, a part of survival as an entrepreneur or as a coach, you know, you want to have enough clients, you want to have impact, you don't want to be removed from social media because there are great opportunities out there. But we also live by our values and what we stand for. And when some essential things are taken away, it's kind of tug of war between being able to build your business and become state independent by becoming an entrepreneur and still standing for your values and giving some meaning and fulfillment to your
0: life. Yeah, that's why I'm really big on building couple different uh, pillars, I would say, for your business or to have different baskets that you put your eggs in, so to speak. So I'm really big on email marketing. I do email, daily emails to my list. I've been doing those since 2016. I just passed 1,700 straight days when I checked and I've never missed a day. So I'm a big fan of daily emails because yes, I've got you a know, good-sized Facebook group. There's 20,000 in there and I, you know, I've got the podcast and other things, but I never want to be just dependent on one thing. Dan Kennedy said that one is the most dangerous number for entrepreneurs. So I would recommend that uh, anyone watching this or listening, if you don't have an email list, certainly build it if you're in business because then you own that. Now, that being said, there's certain things being done where is it MailChimp, I think, or some of them are now starting to censor the email is going out there. So I think there's going to be pressure just like being put on payment processors like PayPal, everywhere. If you have any opinion to the right of Bernie Sanders, you're vulnerable to being censored and cancel culture, but definitely build an email list. I think that's a good idea.
1: And one thing that's also, and probably a lot of coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs will be listening listening to this or, or free thinkers. One of the things that really frustrate me it takes a lot of effort to become an entrepreneur. You have to really believe it has to go through failures, ups and downs, the whole process, investing, believing in yourself. And it's almost like there's a war on entrepreneurs Or so are like, oh, they have it easy, etc. And there's a lot of blood, sweat, mm-hmm. and tears that goes into entrepreneurship. And we need these people, these critical thinkers, these creatives, the people who help people take responsibility, think differently, do things that education doesn't do. Maybe that's a yeah. whole other topic we could talk about. <laughs> And I feel that's such a pity that almost the state, at least in Belgium, where I'm originally from, it's almost that there's a war against people who want to disconnect from the state and take responsibility. I got some numbers from someone who's heavily into economy in Belgium, and you had numbers there of the working population that 50% works for the government or is paid by the government. When you take into account the non-active working population, it's 70%. So 70% is dependent on the government or NGOs or any kind of organization and stimulus money. So, of course, they don't have so much critique of the state system and the nanny
0: state. Well, the frustrating thing in 2020, which I'm seeing in Canada, and I know it's all over the world, is you've got politicians who, for the most part, have never run a lemonade stand, let alone any other business, that are calling the shots and basically dictating to entrepreneurs, you have to close down. Uh, But yet you're seeing it targeting more of the mom and pop type businesses, small businesses. But then they're saying, okay, Costco and all these big boxers, mm-hmm. you guys can stay open. A thousand people can cram in like sardines, but the mom and pop shop down the street, the sewing machine, that's dangerous. It's going to kill a bunch of people. It has to close down. And, um, and that part's very frustrating. I mean, my business is online. So my business was up in 2020 versus 2019, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, for 10 years, I had a, a bricks and mortar local business. I was in real estate. And so when I see that stuff going on, I see these politicians, many of them who are supposed to be conservative and into mm-hmm. pro quote pro-business. No, they're pro-small business. They're pro-big business in cases like where they're supporting the big box stores, but they're killing small business. So that's been the frustrating thing for me. It didn't surprise me when I saw a lot of Democratic governors from the deep blue states that are on a real power trip here and really, you know, relishing mm-hmm. this moment and uh, clamping things down. And being quite scary. That part didn't surprise me because, you know, for socialism, the whole history of it, the only way it can be implemented is if it's a very strong government that steps on the throats of the the citizens. It can't be done any other way because people would never support it. What's frustrating is when I see politicians that I, I say I used to like, I don't really like any politicians. But politicians I would have voted for before. I mean, here in Canada, we've got Doug Ford, Brian Pallister, Jason Mm -hmm. Kenney now in Alberta of all places is doing some kooky things with it. My own province is a, a, quote, conservative premier. He's not conservative. He's not pro-business. He's hurt a lot of businesses in 2020. So I'm uh, disappointed with those type people. I came to expect it from the leftist politicians, but not the people who claim to be you know, pro, um, you know if, if pro business or, you know, supporting small business, they've been very disappointing.
1: Yeah, we've seen the same shift happening in Belgium where center parties or conservative parties that they move more and more to the left, not necessarily communist, but definitely socialist. So they move up more and more to the left and to the left and they become like more extreme and radical, while what they call now extreme right or Nazis is become, you know, yeah. Less and less extreme like everything that's a little bit conservative to the right that never was called extreme right or nazi in the past it's all like fascism and nazi right now. So that spectrum becomes smaller while the spectrum on the left keeps on going towards more extremes
0: it seems. Yeah, exactly. So that's been really frustrating for me i i mentioned before i think that um, it should be a lot that all politicians had have to have start at least a lemonade stand so <laughs> they can see it, or at least talk to small business owners the problem is they're only looking at one scorecard in 2020 they're looking just at covid deaths which well we don't know what the actual number is because there's been a lot of yeah. <laughs> playing with the numbers mm-hmm. and stuff and not by the way i don't think covid's fake i know people are dying from it but i yeah. don't always trust the numbers that they give false positives what is it apples and bananas being tested positive or mm-hmm. whatever it is nowadays, but they're only looking at that one metric. They're not looking at anything else. And I'm sure this has been talked about, you know, before I know you talked about it a lot, but you know, look at the bankruptcies, the suicides, substance abuse, marriage, breakdowns, all that stuff they're not looking at. So I, I said to someone else it would be the same as if, um, CNN had a tracker on their screen 24 seven of automobile deaths on our highways. Mm -hmm. And you saw that number shooting up every day because a lot more people die from automobile deaths and have died from COVID. Well, and if they're running stories about the danger on the highways, the jaws of life, everything, everyone would be scared shitless. They wouldn't want to get in a car. And, uh, you know, government response would be, okay, let's haul them all off the road and uh, no one will die from, you know, automobile deaths anymore. Now, obviously, they're not going to do that but using the logic from covid where they shut everything down cuz like one death is too many okay why aren't we shutting down the highways and going back to horse and buggy using that logic so it's not a very nuanced approach by the government it's just like all they have is a hammer and it doesn't matter what what's happening one death someone gets a sniffles let's shut down the whole economy you know indefinitely let's just lock her down and that part's very frustrating
1: Yeah, they say never waste a good crisis. And we had the crisis in 2008. You can watch the movie, The Big Short, how it happens with all the mortgages and the corrupt financial system. I say when you lend money to the bank, from the bank, you're lending money to the bank. Mm. Because they have fractional reserving. You only need to get a small percentage of actual money in the bank. So when you're lending money from the bank, you're actually lending them money to blow up and spend more money. So we've seen Mm. that in 2008. Nothing fundamental has been changed about that system Mm -hmm. or people who have made a gigantic profit back in 2008. And when you see now that people who have an interest here can make a power grab, more money, more influence, when you say this now, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, that doesn't happen. What we've seen this with crises, whether they cause it or not, that they take advantage of it. And when I see a lot is that those same people who benefit from it, they're very much involved in the decision making.
0: Yeah, well, with politicians, once they get certain power, good luck getting it back. It's like a kid that gets a lollipop or a toy or something; they're not just going to willingly hand it back. And you know, you look at income tax back in uh, the around the time of World War One. It was supposed to be a temporary measure just to pay for the war. So okay, well, it'll be in for a year or two to take care of the war. Well, <laughs> look at it now. You know, with it, it reminds me of uh, back in the spring. Give us two weeks to flatten the curve, or fifteen days to flatten the curve here we are Groundhog Day, we're almost a year later, and they keep moving the goalposts with it as well. So I'm at least uh, feeling good because I talked with a lot of people who admit that it seems silly. I was mentioning earlier about how we now have to socially distance and isolate our Christmas gifts in Canada, because Big Brother says that we have to you know, be safe or whatever. Uh, but there are a lot of people commenting on that post, like, yeah, this is ridiculous. So I was on board for the first week or two of March, because we didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on. You're seeing what's going on in over in Europe and stuff I'm like, okay, well, you know, Jesus, it could be scary. Let's, you know, see what's happening. After about two weeks, I'm like, okay, yeah, I think they're not telling the whole story. There's so that doesn't pass the smell test in a lot of ways. So I was on board for two weeks. And, and then I was off that crazy train.
1: Yeah, the main thing that is also my objection is the disproportionate measures and response. When you take a look at it, it doesn't mean do nothing. doesn't mean that we shouldn't tackle the hospitalization, which is much better in certain countries like in Canada and the infections and the deaths, absolutely. But when you see the sole focus on it and the disproportionate measures while ignoring all other facets, that smells indeed very stinky and very fishy. Like that doesn't make any sense According to me,
0: well, if you look at the uh, number of deaths and the percentages, it's a vast, vast majority were elderly people who were in long mm-hmm. care, care long term care homes. So th- it was something like ninety some percent, and not saying young people haven't died, but let's face it, this has been you know really dangerous for the older mm-hmm. uh, people, but not. I say young people like us, I'm 42, I like to think of myself as young, but a lot of people say I'm an old uh, folk um, now too. So the way we should have um, done things to protect them or people who had their immune systems compromised and stuff like that, but not shut down the whole economy for something that's very low risk, something with what, 99.7% survival rate. When you look at uh, those numbers, you think, okay, was this worth it? I don't think so. Uh, The book I would recommend people check out. My friend had the um, author on his podcast recently called Lockdown or Liberty. And Mm -hmm. I forget the, I want to say his name was Tucker, I believe, but uh, don't quote me on that. But anyways, I I just recently read that book. Excellent. I don't think anyone who goes in with an open mind and reads that book from front to end, by the end of the book, I can't see them being in support of full scale lockdown. So there's just no way he totally throws that argument on his head and shows why they're wrong.
1: What boggles my mind is that often when it comes to, it's the economy stupid or save our children. But at the same time here, I see a lot of businesses going bankrupt. They print magic money, which you have to repair at a certain time, you know? And then the children, their future, like it almost make me cry that a young child, a grandma wanted to hug her grandchild and the grandchild always said like, no mommy, we can't, uh, grandma, we can't do that. Like that kind of societal model is being created. And that boggles my mind because Normally, when you hit people in their finances economy with the children, it's like, no, 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 this is going too far. And here, it seems to just all be ignored. That's really something that still surprises and shocks me.
0: Yeah. Well, here locally, we have uh, there's a local teenager who's autistic, and he's been in the news because his mom has been taking him into stores for Christmas shopping. She's been talking to this mall before she goes in. As uh, she's got documentation, he can't wear a mask because it's it basically scares him and he freaks out, you know, because of the autism. and it just doesn't seem right when I read the stories there when you have him being harassed uh, by the store the stores and the police and everything else. and I'm like, where's the outrage for that? mother and that child, you know, this doesn't seem right. Or you've got these government snitch lines, you know, people peering out their blinds because, oh, wait a minute, my neighbor, there's a different car parked in front of his house. And, you know, I'm going to call the government and uh, report him. Or whatever. So I'm not running around French kissing strangers or mud wrestling with a hundred people or whatever. (laughs) You know, I I wouldn't do that normally. I wouldn't I wouldn't have people spitting in my face, Mm -hmm. strangers, regardless. But I'm living my life. I mean, my my girlfriend and I are having a New Year's Eve party, and uh, we'll have twenty people, which is allowed here in Mm -hmm. our. um, uh, But people are like, "Oh my God, you're having a a New Year's Eve party?" I'm, yeah, I am. You know, given the way 2020 is, yeah, we're going out in style. I'm not going to hide in my basement with CNN on. 247. Yeah. Just- and the
1: dangerous thing is that the more and more this becomes familiar, the more this becomes something we're used to, even though we might not agree with it, we're like used to it. So the more they are like, okay, let's just skip Christmas. Let's just skip this. Let's just do this. And like with a year further. It's like, okay, is this temporary or is this a kind of societal model that they like yeah. to push? And with every month and every yes and every moving of the goalpost, it seems like more and more extreme. So when it becomes a little bit less extreme, it's like, at least it's not so mad that we couldn't give each other presents, you know? This is already still too extreme, you know, where we are now, that's that's what I think the danger our,
0: is. Our, one of our top health docs in Canada, she Teresa Tam, a few months ago, recommended wearing masks when you're having sex with your wife or your husband. Like, I'm not kidding about that, like, I'm dead serious. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then what's happening is government's floating trial balloons about doing some really even more extreme things. And then when they just go three quarters of the way to it, so it's still pretty bad, people are like, oh, thank God, we're at least um, allowed to be with another bubble, not just our mm-hmm. household bubble. It's the same thing as if government said, hey, um, Philip, I'm going to cut off all four of your limbs. And you're like, oh, my God, like holy shit, that's, you know, that's crazy. That's uh, you know, scared shitless. But then government says, oh, OK, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to cut off your legs. You know, shouldn't you be happy? Well, government's still cutting off your legs. That's a pretty bad thing. They're not cutting off four limbs, but they're cutting off two that's going to complicate your life. And that's what's happening here is um, government's seen how people bent over for this. And there's been a minority of people st- speaking out but, and more people you're seeing now, but they're seeing how docile those citizens have been and willing to take whatever government throws at them. So I'm kind of scared five or 10 years down the road when there's another one. I'm like, okay, well, let's look at what happened in 2020. Yeah, we can push this even farther. Uh, they went with it in 2020.
1: Yeah. And for everybody who calls people on the right uh, or conservatives, fascists or Nazis, I'm actually reading about the rise and fall of the Third Reich of Hitler. And there you also see a lot of patterns that Hitler didn't get the majority vote. And then they had an emergency law and he was expanding his power. And then it was just first only to get Austria and Slovakia and then another country. And then it was the Jews and they had to close their stores and then they had to yeah. move and then they had to go to get. See how the goalpost also was moved there. And still, despite that, maybe that's the box of Pandora that people still cling to that false hope. Sometimes it won't happen to us. It won't go that far. Yeah. But there's some things that happening right now and happened back then that people yeah. never thought was imaginable, but it keeps on moving further and further.
0: And who is Hitler's party, uh, the National Socialist Party, which, um, so when people try to tie Hitler with the right, well, okay, look at the the name of his party. <laughs> it's literally got socialist right in the title. But yeah, like I had this conversation with my friend the other day, and he um, he said, oh, come on, Mark, you're not going to bring up Hitler. I'm not suggesting that our politicians in Canada are going to send people mm-hmm. to gas chambers and stuff like that. But with Hitler, I think it's important to remember that he didn't start off by just, mm-hmm. okay, uh, rolling out of bed and say, I'm going to kill 6 million Jews. So let's do that today. It's start off with very little things. You know, they did things like controlling what names you could give Jewish kids because then they could identify the Jewish population easier. It's easier to keep track of them, you know, wearing, you know, the identifying mm-hmm. markers, certain restrictions for the business worked his way up. So it's like the frogs uh, in the boiling pot of water that don't realize that they're being boiled until it's too late. It's just every little bit more and more until suddenly it goes, oh, shoot, how did this happen? So I encourage people I say, look back to January of 2020. And if you could go back in time and you're popping your DeLorean and say to yourself, "Like, here's where we're going to be in late 2020 or early 2021, are you cool with it? It'd be like, wait a minute, they're saying I can't hug my grandmother, government, and I'm going along with it. That's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. And the question is, They only look at safety and comfort, which is a part of life, but it's also, is this a meaningful life? Is this a kind of model that we would love to have in the future? Living online, distancing from each other, not touching each other. I mean, it's so-called for the next generations or to protect the elderly, but I know elderly people who died by themselves. Their daughter didn't even see their grandma. They couldn't like celebrate the funeral. They're pining away behind closed glass. I mean, that's also a tragedy. That's also negative consequences. doesn't say you should only look at this, yeah. but that's also tragedy and loss that's happening. And you should try to look at different aspects of it and then think, what is a livable society and not necessarily what is the most comfortable or safe society or
0: secure society? Well, before this interview, I had to run over to local pharmacy and grab something. No, I don't have COVID. Um, <laughs> So I went to the pharmacy, picked up a few things, drove back through traffic, or we don't even have much traffic in Atlanta, Canada, but drove back here, hopped on, we did this interview. Uh, my chances of being killed or hurt were much higher from my trip to the local store, the mm-hmm. pharmacy, and coming back than they ever would be from catching COVID or dying from COVID, you know. But yeah, we hear stories all the time of it that, you know, there's some um, elderly seniors with dementia who now don't understand why why is my family not come to visit me? Like, do they not love me anymore? Did they forget about me? They don't understand the whole video thing. You, you've got people who couldn't, well, good example. It's not even just like funerals, things like that, but um, my goddaughter graduated high school last summer, looking forward to it. That's a big, you know, mm-hmm. really big moment for, her. they weren't allowed to have a graduation, but yet around that same time, there was about a thousand people protesting George Floyd locally mm-hmm. going through the local you know, streets uh, chanting and not socially distancing. And I'm like, well, why is my goddaughter not able to have her graduation, but people can protest? And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to protest for mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. I think all protests should be allowed. Not rioting, not burning down buildings and, and stuff. That's not protesting, but protesting should be allowed. I just get very scared when government turns a blind eye. And say, well, okay, well that one's okay. You know, that's fine because that's fits the social justice type mold. So we'll let that protest go, but. We can't do funerals or graduations or whatever. Like apply the same rules across the board. Don't pick winners and losers. Same thing with business. Don't say which businesses are winners, the big box stores and which ones are losers, the mom and pop stores. Yeah,
1: And uh, these rituals are also important to life, a marriage, a funeral, sometimes can be a healing moment for the family, these graduations, also the social contact, getting together. It almost seems like there's a war on fun. And there's a war on just getting together. We become more and more disconnected. And we know from research that disconnection, loneliness, stress also is an epidemic, also creates a lot of stress, also tackles the immune system. So we shouldn't only look at the virus. We should also look at things. What is affecting the immune system that they're much prone to becoming infected or dying? And that aspect of the equation, I don't see being tackled at all with all the loneliness, depression, anxiety, suicide, spousal abuse relationship breaks breakups that is all also the hidden trauma and the hidden negative consequences
0: well look what's happened with the world's poor have been set back mm-hmm. set way back from this they were on the rise and, and before this happened this pandemic and the response from the governments totally destroyed that women's place in the workforce everything has put a halt to their gains as well so it's hurt women a lot Women also get punished because they're usually taking on more of the childcare responsibilities. So if there's a husband and a wife, one of them has to stay home with the kids. The other one's going to go out and work. It's, in most cases, the husband's going to be the one going out to work because mm-hmm. his job may pay more or, you know, and, and the, the woman's staying home with the kids. Suddenly she's got four or five kids running around and she's trying to, you know, manage all that stuff. So that part's not being mentioned. It, but, so you could say government response has been terribly sexist. They hate women, (laughs) you know, with their response, let's go protest in the streets.
1: (laughs) What do you think as a human being or a coach right now in these hectic times with so much uncertainty is the right focus to have to still empower yourself?
0: Well, turn off the TV. I mean, it's good to be informed, but I don't consider CNN to be informed, you know, read different sources. Don't just buy what the government's shoving down your throat. Uh, one thing that I've done this year, my as I said, my business has gone up, and one of the reasons why is I just put my head down and worked. So there's certain things I've done now since 2014 when I started my coaching business, a day in and day out, like uh, my podcast. You know, I'm up to almost 700 episodes now. That continued on, like, oh, got to do my podcast, uh, daily emails. Okay, time to work on my daily emails and my other stuff. So it really didn't change my life in a lot of ways. I missed going to the bookstore, going to a movie, going to dinner when we mm-hmm. were locked down 100%. But I just put my head down. I didn't um, buy into all the fear and, and everything, the hoopla going on. And I see these coaches that spend all day arguing on Facebook and shaming people that aren't wearing masks and stuff. I'm like, man, if you spent one half or a third of the time you spend on Facebook arguing on your business, you would be light years ahead. But you just want to go on there and try to just fight these battles that you're not going to win, anyways. You're one person. Focus on yourself, you know, with your business. You'll be in better position that way.
1: Yeah, what you said. Also, one is a dangerous number. I think it's important to build your own ecosystem of growth. And with all the censorship happening on social media platforms, I think some people are really fed up and frustrated with social media and the direction that it's heading and it's time to build your own platforms and your own list even your own blog and get people in your own ecosystem and build your own community i Mm. think that's a way to disconnect from the power grab or the state or them locking your business completely down i think how do you look at this
0: yeah no definitely Uh, So even if social media was unbiased and they didn't have a political agenda, I think it's still dangerous just for the time suck uh, that it could be. So an example that I give a few years back, I went to make myself a pizza. I threw it in the oven, set the timer for 18 minutes, 20 minutes or whatever. I said, oh, I'll go out on the couch, open up the laptop and just pop onto Facebook, check (laughs) messages. And then what felt like two or three minutes later, a couple minutes later, I hear, ding, the oven's done. Uh, And I'm like, geez, what? No, it hasn't been 20 minutes. It's been, you know, only five minutes. Well, sure enough, it'd been 20 minutes. I felt like it was missing time. Like they talk about alien abductions when people are one moment a guys fishing in the middle of the lake, then the next minute he wakes up naked by some convenience store in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know where the last eight hours went. That's what I felt like. So that just shows right there, it's a rabbit hole you hop on and it's never going to be just two minutes popping onto Facebook. You're going to get distracted and their whole job, they built that platform to keep you on there as long as possible. You know, they've given you dopamine hits and it's designed to keep you trapped on Facebook. So one thing I've done this year is um, I've gotten really good at restricting my Facebook only going on at certain times. And some people might say it's still a lot. I go on usually 9am my time, noon. 3pm, 6pm, and then a final check in at 9pm. But I'm not going on for like an hour each time I'm going in them getting the heck out. So I do something I call drive by postings, just like a drive by shooting. <laughs> I, I get in I post, so I have to post a I speed away uh, before I could get sucked in further. We're both coaches, you also coach people.
1: Why is there oftentimes a lot of resistance for people to get a coach?
0: Well, I mean, coaching is still relatively new. I know it's been around for a while, but uh, a lot of people when I say that I'm a coach, they're like people in my real life, not online, they're like, "Oh, really for sports or something." Like, no, that's not it. So they they don't get the coaching or they look at it as a cost rather than an investment. Like oh wow I have to pay how much no I'll try to figure it out myself and then they just Google or Mm -hmm. do YouTube or try to find things so a lot of it's belief I think that they maybe they've been burnt before there's a lot of bad coaches out there people who are just you know bullshit artists who are selling the sizzle and not the steak Mm -hmm. and they've been burnt so like well I don't want to lose that money again and. And then they don't take the jump uh, to do it. But unfortunately, a lot of the coaches who have trouble getting their business going have never hired a coach before. So if you didn't feel confident enough to hire a coach and get that benefit, then that could be a reason why your coaching business is struggling. Yeah, it's very
1: difficult to advocate for something when you haven't seen the benefits in your own life. That's why when you have sales conversations, I see sales as helping people make better decisions for themselves. I'm also ethical sales when you really see the benefits of something, you speak from conviction and from confidence and it resonates. They see like, yeah, he or she backs up his or her message. Yeah. But when people want to sell a high ticket or want to sell a service, but they themselves think like, nah, I don't need a coach. And then they want to get clients. There's a little bit of a disconnect between the service that you're offering and the objections you, you have yourself. Yeah.
0: Well, some of the reasons I think I've done well is I was helped by coaches. So I spent 10 years in real estate, built up a real estate business, got to 100 employees, agents and employees, a couple offices and everything collapsed. A few years before it collapsed, a coach, this was probably 2006-ish, came into my office and I didn't even know what coaching was and he wanted, basically wanted me to hire him. And I was kind of cocky, you know, 20 some years old. I'm like, Oh, take a look around at this big office. This is all mine. Do I look like I need a coach? Well, when everything collapsed in 2009, I'm like, man, maybe I should have hired him. But I was helped back to my feet by a couple different coaches and mentors before I launched my coaching business in 2014. So I can speak to the benefits of coaching because I was in a really dark place and I was able to get back on track because they helped me, you know, and I uh, then Instead of trying to be the lone wolf and figure it all out myself, I was vulnerable and I said, I'm going to get help. And I'm very glad that I did it. So I had a front row seat to see what coaching could do for people.
1: Yeah, you often don't see your own blind spots. A coach often helps you have honest conversations with yourself that you're not willing to have. So that was very useful instead of free can be very costly. Yeah. Nothing can be very expensive. Yeah.
0: Uh, One of them got me past uh, one of the big uh, things that this business closure did uh, for me back then. It's been a little over 10 years now. Killed my confidence because I tied so much of my identity into that Mm -hmm. real estate business. I was working 100 hours a week, you know, having fun, but that was my whole identity. It's kind of like Spider Man 2 and Tobey Maguire, you know, Peter Parker loses his powers. He throws his suit in the garbage can and stuff. That's what I felt like. I'm like, well, who the heck am I when it happened? Um, One of the coaches that I was working with uh, in the dark years after that. He helped me realize that, hey, that business closure, that wasn't me. The business wasn't me. The business closure wasn't me. That was an event. And he said, stop looking at it like a scarlet letter. I was basically going out there like, oh, I failed. Everyone knows I failed. And I'm a loser. And I can never be successful again. And he showed me he had actually failed several times with his businesses. And he showed me that, hey, here he mentioned some local entrepreneurs. He's like, do you know so-and-so that owns this car dealership? Do you know so-and-so who owns these restaurants? Like, yeah, they're they're big names. Like, yeah, that he went bankrupt, you know, back mm-hmm. in the 80s. He went bankrupt in the 90s, you know, or whatever. And and that coach helped me realize that, hey, I'm not my business closure and life goes on. And basically he uh, gave me the kick in the butt that I needed at that time.
1: Yeah, you also give a lot of realistic advice, which I like. I'm, I don't I, I don't like the shiny marketeers and the entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, sell, sell the dream and then it ends up being a nightmare. I often give the harsh truth that oftentimes in entrepreneurship, it takes two to three years to figure things out because yeah. you want to get clarity on yourself, your offer, your clients. And I know a lot of these young people or people who start, they are sold to dream and they want to grow so fast and they have so much stuff to figure out. And they that's at least my thing. I think this whole burn the boat Thing and I had $2 in the bank account and I had mm-hmm. to survive. That creates a lot of stress, yeah, a lot of stuff on your back besides the fact of figuring things out. So I'm like, don't burn the boats, like buy a boat, have a toolkit, figure mm-hmm. things out and give yourself a little bit of a parachute and a little bit of a safety net so you can still thrive and give yourself some months. Even if things are not going well, you still have money, time, focus, energy in the back instead of having that constant pressure. How do you look at it?
0: Yeah. So you make a good point. A lot of people think that if you're working a nine to five job, you want to start an online business, say coaching that you have to march into your boss's office today <laughs> and basically t- say, I'm done, You know, see you later. So you have to be like Jerry Maguire or Tom Cruise was mm-hmm. in that movie when he stormed out of the office. Uh, he said, who's with me? Right? he rolls <laughs> up his sleeve and he takes a goldfish because he's like, I bought this fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And only Renee Zellweger went with him. Uh, but you don't have to do that because you're exactly right. It puts a lot of pressure on you that suddenly tomorrow you have to get a client or in the next week or you're screwed. You won't be able to pay your bills. When I started my coaching business, I had a sales position with a local telecommunications company. And I kept that while I was building my coaching business. And I kept it for probably 11 months, I think it was roughly or somewhere in that range, waiting until my coaching replaced that income, basically. And then I said, I'm going to jump. And when it did, I, I jumped. And I'm very glad that I did that because I still had the bills paid and gave me that confidence and took some pressure off. That being said, I I knew I wasn't going to take 10 years of Mm -hmm. keeping a job and building it. But it's never a bad idea to have a bit of a runway as you get started.
1: Yeah, it's good to have a safety net, but it's also start before you're ready. Because when you think you're ready, you could have probably started a lot sooner. Same thing when you want to, should I kiss this girl? Probably you could have (laughs) kissed it a bit before when the signals were there. So I love the fact that you also have so many... Podcast and that you send out so many emails, it's a bit like what reminds me of Seth Golden, who says, "I buy the blog post each day." And they, yeah. they ask him, "Was that a hard decision to make?" And he said, "No, I only had to make that decision once. So when I work with my clients, I use the CSI method, which is clarify, simplify, implement, and then you try to reiterate those three steps. And often in the beginning, it's a matter of implementing, picking the yeah. direction and getting feedback, stepping into the unknown. And then things will get clear and you can simplify. But you're in it for a journey, not to just immediately get the peak of the mountain or the end result.
0: Yeah. Well, there are so many people online that want that magic bullet. You know, they're get rich quick. They want to make a million bucks and be working from a hot tub or a yacht. And one of the reasons I've been able to make it in this business is I've been consistent, which isn't always the sexiest superpower (laughs) out there. Some people are like, you know, they're expecting a different secret. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, I've done 700 podcast episodes. When I started my daily emails, I was ready to quit email because I was getting no response from the way I did it before, which was the old way. I I would email like the usual way, uh, email once a week or Mm -hmm. once every two weeks or twice a week. And they're boring emails. I had the filter on (laughs) trying not to offend people. And I was challenged by a guest on my podcast who did daily emails. So Mark, why don't you try for 30 days? You know, and I was like, well, well I have nothing to lose. I'm going to kill my AWeber account anyway. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'll give it a try. I just started it. Now, I didn't make a million bucks in 30 days, but I noticed I started to get more replies from people who subscribed to my emails. And then I started to get some money. Again, not a million bucks, but I started to make some money and then it rolled from there. So, I, unfortunately, online, so many people, have that bright, shiny object thing, they try something for like a week or a couple of weeks, they don't get a client, and then they're off doing the next thing. And they're not sticking with things long enough to actually get that seed to sprout up from the ground. And that's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. When something is not working, you shouldn't keep doing it, but you should be doing something consistently to get feedback to see if it's working or not. And especially now in an overcrowded coaching and social media space, it takes more time to build momentum up, to get attention and build your audience up
0: well part of the problem in 2020 where we've been this ties into what we're talking mm-hmm. about with covid and everything there's been so much noise online covid the race riots uh, the election you know the US presidential election and that's tough to cut through that noise i'm consistent and i noticed times when i was having trouble getting heard and just you know you put up a post that's gold you think it's great you're going to get ton of (laughs) likes and you got like two or three it's probably you and my twin brother and someone else would like it or whatever chris miles is someone who likes a lot of my posts but you know you can't worry about that you just go out and do your thing but i have noticed in 2020 people have been so run around like chickens with their heads cut off because of the covid scares and stuff that they're It's hard for them to think about improving themselves because they're afraid that they're going to die from touching a doorknob today or touching a Christmas gift.
1: And they're becoming a knob in the (laughs) process. Yeah, in the the process. See, I I set you up in there. If you go, slam (laughs)
0: done.
1: I'll slam the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, consistency is important to build it up and to get feedback. On the other hand, what I realized in my entrepreneurial journey is that there's almost never a thing that is just a business problem. It's often also an emotional, psychological or mindset problem. So the consistency is important in terms of action. You can have some tactics, but the mindset thing is also very crucial about the whole entrepreneurial journey, how you treat yourself, how you deal with things. And sometimes when I was hustling, when I was working in the beginning period, that was good to build it up. But sometimes counterintuitively, when I step back on the gas pedal and I allowed more to receive and calm down. I was more creative and I often
0: got better responses. I'm the exact same way. Sometimes I'm pushing too hard. It reminds me of my favorite baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays. Back in 2015, they made the major league playoffs for the first time in 23 years. And it was a really big deal for us Canadians because it's the only Canadian team now that the Montreal Expos aren't around. So the Blue Jays had an amazing 2015 especially the last half of the year, Mm -hmm. they're like unstoppable. If they ever lost a game, I was shocked because I just expected them to win every game. So they make it into the playoffs against the Texas Rangers and it's a best of five series. The first game is in Toronto because Toronto had the better record and I'm watching them on TV. And uh, as I'm watching the national anthems being sung at the beginning, the players standing out on the baselines and stuff I don't know what it was. I said to my brother, I'm like, they seem really tight. Like you, they just look nervous. Cause this was a big deal for Canada. Mm-hmm. First playoff game in 23 years, a lot of pressure on their shoulders. Those first couple games, they played like a, a little league team. They were absolutely horrible. They were kicking the ball around. They were not the team. They were all year. Cause they, they were playing so tight. And the Rangers were just kicking their butt, uh, so they lost the first two games. If they lost one more, they were going to have to. If the series would be done, because uh, basically it's a best of five series. So, what had happened though is um, game three, they they were playing a lot looser because everyone expected them to lose. They're mm-hmm. like, well, they're down two not There's no, no way they're going to win three straight games against the Rangers, and they uh, make a long story short, they end up winning three games in a row to win the series. And what I suspect happened is they thought, well. We're going to lose. Everyone says we're going to lose. So we might as well just go out and have fun because we're probably going home anyways. And all of a sudden they're having fun and they loosened up and they're playing much better baseball. Same way with online. When you're so tight that you're like, I have to get this client. I'm hopping on a Zoom call and I need this client Mm -hmm. to pay the bills or I need this post to go viral or whatever. That's a lot of pressure to put on your shoulders. And you're right. You just sometimes have to loosen up and let yourself receive and it's tough to do that because your ego is going to be whispering in your ear saying, oh, come on, uh, Philip, Like you got to work, you got to pay the bills. But uh, once you do it and it starts happening, it's a pretty cool thing. And that's happened with my business as well. Some of my best months when I loosen up and take the stick out of my ass and just have fun, <laughs> you know, and uh, it works out. Yeah. And I
1: also love people who who speak out and paradoxically I've been, or because of it, because I've been speaking out and been a bit more polarizing. I've been attracting more quality people and more Mm. quality interactions and more quality people. So a leader is always a bit polarizing because they have a vision, they stand for something and people want to get behind their banner. So some people are afraid and and they want to be vanilla, but you won't stand out if you're just going to be like any other coach. doesn't have to be with a controversial opinion, but you want to stand out and dare to be different because else you won't be noticed. And we live in the attention economy nowadays. So if you don't get interest... Then nothing is going to happen especially online
0: yeah i just finished uh, listening to an audiobook called the hypomanic edge by john d gartner and he gives examples of real life people like alexander hamilton christopher columbus uh oh god he talks about a bunch of successful people in u.s history And he shows that that was how a lot of them got their start, was doing something, quote, crazy to stand out. And they got their big break that way. What I'm seeing online, a lot of coaches are hanging around the mushy middle where they don't want to offend anybody. And so they just regurgitate motivational quotes all day long or just boring sort of cliche stuff. And people aren't going to pay them for motivational quotes. You could go on Google and Google motivational quotes. You get 2 trillion responses in a fraction of a second. They're not going to hire a coach for that. I have a lot of respect for the coaches. I know you've had some on the show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, influencers and people who aren't afraid to speak their mind. So, you know, you got the Mitch Millers and people like that that just put it out there, you know, love me or hate me. Yeah, that's what I think. And it's a lot like uh, one of uh, my favorite movies and not a lot of people know about it. It's Bullworth with Warren Beatty. Have you seen that one? No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. But been a long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. He's a politician who decides uh, that he's just going to speak the truth. Crazy concepts, no spin, no fluff. He ends up becoming very popular because it's refreshing. It's like, oh my God, he actually, you know, just said what he actually thinks. It's not political BS or whatever. And That's what I try to remind myself is, hey, I want to be the Bullworth of coaching. So, Sometimes I can tell when I'm holding back a bit and like, nah, I'm going to hit enter on this and I know I'm going to get some flack. So just before I hopped on here, I put a controversial post up on Facebook. When I go back on later today, I'm sure I'm (laughs) going to have a few people unfriend me, but hey, that's okay.
1: Yeah. And you're not only uh, posting these things that are sometimes a bit thought provoking topics. You're sometimes also a meme lord and lame jokes. What is a (laughs) hilarious
0: joke you read recently or one of the all-time classics? Oh, you don't want to ask me because I can get a lot of groans. Well, one thing, how can you find Will Smith in a snowstorm? You look for the Fresh Prince. Um, (laughs) Sorry. What I've been doing with that is uh, every day around supper time here in Canada, I post a uh, meme, like a punny meme, dad joke kind of lame one, just to mix it up a little so it's not all business or hot Mm -hmm. button political issues and i've been doing that now for probably two years and it's kind of interesting it's it's funny i'll post something that i think is gold for a business post and you put a lot of thought into it it does okay for engagement stuff and then you post a meme that has uh, well when i posted it had 3500 shares it was a it was a barbie on a barbecue with shrimp on her and then an elf on the shelf and it's like let's put another shrimp on the barbie you know <laughs> And I have like 3,500 shares and not just Aussies that have people all over. I'm like, how can this get 3,500 shares? And then I have something that's golden for business for coaches and it has like eight shares and 20 likes. (laughs) Yeah. You don't
1: have to be polarizing or thought provoking, but so something that makes you stand out. Sometimes people get in touch with me or other people like, Hey, you're the guy with the hat or you said this, or you're the guy with the lame jokes. Like, Oh, I thought that you really liked me because of my coaching, but that is what got (laughs) their interest. And then they yeah. they get to know you, you stand out, and then you got the quality content. For everybody who wants to check out the work that you're doing for coaches,
0: where can they find out about what you do? Sure. Yeah. So naturalborncoaches.com is the website and the podcast. We've touched on pretty much every issue imaginable for coaches. So naturalborncoaches.com, 700 episodes almost there. You'll find it. And then uh, the Facebook group is The Coaching Jungle. We're at about 20,000 members now. Lots of good stuff every day. That's at .coachingjungle.com.
1: Since you have so much knowledge about natural-born coaches, what is a message you could give to people who aspire to be coaches and have it in them? And maybe also a message for people to say, coaching probably is not for you or who would be a wantrepreneur?
0: Oh, boys. Uh, well, it's not a get-rich-quick. So man, I'm an optimistic guy, but I also like... Being pessimistic in that regard or realistic when I'm talking with an aspiring coach, say, Hey, you're not going to make a million bucks in that first month because I want them to be prepared for when they hit the inevitable potholes in the road that they're not going to just feel like quitting. I would say, So that would be first thing is not get rich quick. Also, when you jump in, prepare to spend more time finding clients than coaching. So when I start coaching, I was thinking, Okay, I'll be. Coaching eighty percent of the time, or you know, the other twenty percent will be taking care of some back end stuff and doing little things like that. It's usually flipped where uh, you're spending eighty percent of your time with the client acquisition and doing things for that, and then twenty percent or even less of the time coaching with it. It's flipped from where you would consider it. So I always warn new coaches about that. And finally, one thing which I think is really important: you're an entrepreneur. Don't forget that as a coach. So whenever I'm talking with a coach, I don't say, so why, why did you get into coaching? Or why mm-hmm. did you become a coach? I'll say, why did you start a coaching business? So I'm combining the words coaching and business because I want to highlight that, hey, you are a business person. You're an entrepreneur. A lot of coaches come from backgrounds where they never had to sell. Uh, they're in HR. They were teachers. They were nurses or something like that. And then they're in for a surprise. They're like, well, gee, I didn't know I had to do all this. So I thought I could just slap up a website and get people coming in. So you're a coaching business. You're not just a coach.
1: Love it, man. That's the difference between being a teacher and also being a sales person, salesman, saleswoman. Thanks for being part of my network, speaking the truth and helping people take responsibility and creating those change makers that are coaches, people who are helping people live a meaningful life. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Rants About Humanity podcast. And I wish you an awesome celebration at the end of 2020, Mark.
0: Thanks for having me. like this podcast don't forget to subscribe share and leave a comment and if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity check out the show notes to find out more about philip and his coaching programs rent over